live in a funky country. You're listening to Coast to Coast Latino. The last Bombaleros out of Austin, Texas. They've made their home now in Nashville, Tennessee, featuring the Nevada Brothers and uh, Funky Country. Funky Country is pretty much a political song that describes our uh, current conditions in the United States. And uh, you can find this particular song on uh, YouTube, live performance. They've been doing a pandemic live performance weekly uh, for nearly a year now. Uh, check them out on their YouTube uh, channel, The Last Bandoleros. They also have uh, a, a YouTube program called Around the Neon Cactus. Los Bandoleros. Good morning. My name is Adrian Perez. Here we are on Monday. January 25th, 2021, we had a very uh, active uh, first few weeks of uh, January, no question about it. I think most of you followed the news, uh, realized that uh, Donald Trump has been impeached again. And uh, today, the, uh, the House will be submitting that impeachment over to the Senate. And the Senate intends to start holding uh, the impeachment uh, hearings beginning on February the 8th and that's basically it now whether or not they determined that he that Donald Trump was guilty of inciting a riot uh, will remain to be seen considering that uh, many Republicans uh, have an issue with the whole process itself they're arguing whether or not Donald Trump can be impeached now that he is no longer president and uh, and uh, Senator Amy Gobachar is telling us that the answer is yes and that uh, the United States uh, Congress has set precedents on it uh, some uh, hundred years ago uh, but we'll see it's going to be an interesting uh, legal debate and uh, the Democrats are promising that the uh, prosecutors of Donald Trump will be uh, will represent the variety of different senators that uh, and Congress people that uh, pretty much impeached him the first time. So Donald Trump uh, still at it. The probably the biggest other thing is uh, everything that's going on with regard to. Uh, Donald Trump's legacy. President Joe Biden has been signing a series of executive orders pretty much to undo Trump's uh, legacy. And let me tell you, the, the problem is that Trump relied heavily 
on executive orders to be able to establish his legacy, not understanding that a legacy is not established through executive orders, but it is established through legislation. Uh, Lyndon Johnson realized that although it would have been easy for Lyndon Johnson to issue an executive order to establish civil rights, he realized that it was extremely difficult to carry that as a legacy long term. So he pushed hard. He negotiated with uh, Congress in creating a piece of legislation that we today now know as the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, Barack Obama had a tremendous opportunity his first two years in office in not only establishing the uh, Health Care Act, but also in uh, creating a real immigration reform. Uh, he failed to do that, even though he had made that uh, campaign promise that he would take care of it the first year in office. Uh, he didn't. And as a result, he started uh, pushing executive orders, especially in his second term in office, and he needed to repair a, a significant damage that he had done to the immigration uh, families, and that was the largest deportation in the history of the United States of, of immigrants, illegal immigrants. He, uh, he deported pretty close to three million and destroyed tens of thousands of families. And uh, towards his last two years, he was made aware of this group of uh, immigrants called Dreamers, uh, individuals who had been brought here by their parents um, illegally. And because they had no choice, they came to the Americas, they were raised as Americans, and today many of them have obtained college degrees and are extremely intelligent and have been contributing to American society. But the problem with, uh, with that is, you know, Barack Obama issued an executive order called the Deferred Action uh, Act, which for those of you who are more familiar with the acronym of DACA, uh, he pretty much guaranteed that they would stay here provided that there were certain conditions uh, met. Donald Trump, when he came into office, tried to undo that executive order, which was met with significant resistance by some of the most brilliant legal minds in the United States. As a result, uh, uh, he kept running into problems where judges, federal judges, uh, including judges he appointed, uh, were were deciding against him and in favor of DACA. Well, DACA remained, and today Joe Biden is really looking at how to fix DACA. Uh, he's looking at doing, again, an executive order. And uh, I think Joe Biden knows the Senate. He knows Congress. He's been there for many years. Uh, I think it would be easier for him to really start pushing legislation that would fix DACA versus trying to do it via executive order. Now, executive orders are essentially policies. They're not really law, okay? 
Uh, some of them can be challenged in court. Uh, others may not. And uh, Donald Trump uh, issued so many executive orders that uh, uh, some of them had no real legal basis as a result. It was very easy for an experienced uh, political individual like Joe Biden to go in there and make changes uh, to the executive orders that Donald Trump issued. And that's exactly what's going on. He's making so many changes. Uh, just, you know, just in the last uh, week alone, since he's been sworn in, uh, Joe Biden has uh, signed uh, 17 executive orders. Uh, some of them, of course, dealing directly with COVID-19. Some of them with the uh, with the uh, financial uh, relief that people are seeking. But overall, he's also looking at some some pretty detrimental approaches that Donald Trump took at governing the United States, and those are the ones that are being undone uh, today. Joe Biden is expected to issue an executive order pretty much mandating that uh, all purchases by the government be done uh, with American-made products. And uh, that's pretty much a continuation of what Donald Trump was, uh, was uh, doing. But uh, executive orders, like I said, are policies. They are not law. And so they can be challenged, they can be changed, and uh, and it's a lot easier to, to change them or undo them completely uh, rather than, than law. Because when you pass a law, the only way you can change a law is to go through the legislative process. And that means introducing a bill that would change it. Uh, it could take months, it could take years before that piece of legislation actually uh, would reach the uh, the desk of the president for final signature. And that's also under the assumption that the president is in support of such piece of legislation. One of the things that some of us are looking forward to is that uh, Biden and Congress, since Congress is now controlled by Democrats, but but understand it's it's a wafer thin level of control. Uh, they don't have huge numbers on on either the Senate or the House side. Uh, so that means that anything that Biden wants, is, as long as it's not, uh, con it's not controlled by uh, the budget system, uh, he can probably get, and that includes uh, the approval of the nominations of all of his appointees, um, but if but the uh, $2,000, for example, that he wants to give every family across the U.S. as part of the COVID relief fund will require the Senate to give him at least uh, 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 three quarters of the vote. But with a wafer thin number of senators that are Democrat, uh, they will always need to get a minimum of 17 to 18 Republicans to join them to be able to pass significant uh, budget type of uh, legislation. 
uh, and in this case, Kamala Harris is not the is not the uh, breaking vote. Uh, she is only the breaking vote on everything else. And uh, when you have a Congress or a Senate rather that is split 50-50, it is Kamala Harris who will decide which 50 she's going to join, whether it's going to be the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, and that's another reason why the trial against Donald Trump is not going to be that easy. Um, because in order to convict the guy, they need a minimum of 17 Republicans to join them in voting the guy guilty of sedition. And uh, in which case, then they also have to look at uh, what kind of punishment they're going to get. But that that negotiation already started. You might as well know. Uh, some Republicans are saying we don't want to we don't want to send the guy to jail. Uh, and some Democrats are saying, OK, well, if we don't, at, at the, the least we can do is prohibit him from ever holding public office again. And uh, that's significant considering that Donald Trump is, in fact, looking at potentially running for president in 2024. Now, if 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 the punishment is strictly to keep him from uh, running for office in 2024 or any other year, uh, it, there's a strong possibility that a number of individuals who've been looking or eyeing the presidency in 2024 will, in fact, go along with it. And believe it or not, it includes Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz out of Texas and uh, Senator Josh Hawley. And those are the two individuals that are uh, being looked at very carefully by the Ethics Committee because of their actions during the uh, during the uh, Capitol riot. So it's going to be very interesting uh, what happens over uh, during the period of this particular trial. And that, like I said, that doesn't start until February the 8th. So in the meantime, what do we focus on? We focus on the wonderful things that Joe Biden is trying to do. For the first time, we see something that's very significant that's been missing during the Trump years, and those are plans of action. How do we get our economy back up? How do we get uh, COVID-19 under control? And, uh, and more importantly, how do we manage our government to keep it from being challenged every single time there's going to be an election because this set precedence, okay? And unless there are there are um, key components that are introduced as legislation to our election system, our democracy may be challenged every four years. So very critical that we do something about it. And I think Joe Biden is, is on the right track to deal with that. In terms of the economy, you know, there's there's uh, varying factors uh, that uh, will impact uh, Joe Biden's ability. The question is, can he maintain strength in Wall Street, first of all? And secondly, can he get many of the jobs that have been lost? Can we get those back? 
And we're talking about, you know, millions and millions of jobs that have been lost due to COVID-19. Is it possible? Yes. But the only way that's going to happen is if small businesses are either established or strengthened uh, to be able to hire people. Because the backbone of employment throughout the U.S. has always been small businesses, not large corporations. Large corporations offer more competitive salaries. They offer uh, benefits. They offer a lot of things that small businesses cannot. But the bottom line is small businesses hire more people because they're small biz they are there are a lot more small businesses in the nation than there are major corporations so they do the majority of the hiring and so it's critical especially among the latino communities it's critical that we maintain our uh, entrepreneurial leadership to be able to get more people in business to be able to help them establish a business where they can hire individuals. And uh, if we end up with a $15 minimum wage, so be it. The bottom line is those small businesses need to be reinforced by the federal government to be able to function and keep people employed on a longer term basis. That's the secret to the economy. The more people make money, the more money gets spent, the more money gets spent, the stronger the economy gets. Right now, we are in deep trouble because we're not spending that kind of money. Uh, just to give you an idea, Godiva Chocolates, Godiva Chocolates announced this morning that uh, right after Valentine's Day, they're shutting down all their, all their retail stores, all of them across the nation. Uh, and Godiva Chocolates, as many of you know, uh, has been surviving by selling their chocolates uh, during the holidays. And so they, they're a specialty chocolate company. But by shutting down all their stores, they're going to be letting go of a lot of people on a more permanent basis. And uh, that's what I mean by, by, you know, how critical it is to be able to reinforce and strengthen existing businesses. Uh, that way there, there can be more employment and there can be more people that can spend money on different things. Another area that they're trying hard to get back on board, of course, is sports. And uh, unless you've been living under a rock or you just don't care about football, but the Super Bowl is coming up uh, on September, I mean, excuse me, on February 7th. And uh, there are only going to be 22,000 seats for sale at the Super Bowl. Right now, the average ticket is going for $18,000. Okay, did you hear that? $18,000. So they don't expect for it to be a sold out stadium. In other words, they don't think that they're going to be able to sell all 22,000 seats. Uh, although it's going to be an interesting Super Bowl. Uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are making their first trip uh, under uh, Tom Brady, an experienced, uh, uh, an experienced quarterback. I think he's like 39 or 40 years of age. 
uh, going up against the Kansas City Chiefs with uh, 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 their quarterback who you know many of us look at and we think he's barely 17 years of age so uh, it's gonna be a good game I think uh, but the thing is is that the Super Bowl is one of those events in the US where people spend a lot of money whether it's a party at their home uh, whether it's a party at, at, at a club or a, a uh, local bar, the thing is, is that people go out and spend money, a lot of money. But this year it's going to be very different because there isn't that kind of money, that, that amount of discretionary money especially, that was around uh, without the pandemic. And speaking about the pandemic, it continues to wreak havoc in the Latino community. Uh, both the African-American and Latino communities are, are suffering the most. Many Latinos uh, who are on the front lines are not getting the vaccine, uh, primarily because of poor implementation. But that's because Donald Trump uh, decided to have the states create their plan, where in this case, Joe Biden I said, no, the federal government is going to be the one that's going to roll out the plan. His plan is to roll out as much as he can of the both the uh, uh, protective gear that's essential for uh, the frontline workers, but also to make sure that the companies like Moderna and uh, Pfizer are able to produce the, the, the vaccines in large quantities and at a faster pace. So Joe Biden's goal is to have a hundred million people injected with a vaccine in his first 100 days in office. Can he achieve that? Many of us believe so. But in order to do that, he has to mobilize uh, the uh, National Guard he has to mobilize uh, uh, student nurses, uh, student doctors, and he has to mobilize a lot of people to be able to create massive in va uh, vaccination injection centers where people will line up and uh, go through a process, go through the line and get themselves vaccinated. Uh, uh, some stadiums have already been identified uh, here in Sacramento, for example, we have our state fair grounds that are that have been identified as a, as a good place to to carry that action. Uh, others are looking at military bases, and others are still looking at um, massive stadiums and arenas. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a, a huge rollout. Uh, right now, it's not the vaccine that we're having a problem with. It is the syringes in order to deliver the vaccine that are the problem. And uh, again, those are things that are being handled now at the national level, whereas before everything was, was, was put on the states and for the states to create some kind of a plan to be able to execute uh, the injection and the uh, vaccination numbers. Uh, Biden also came out this week regarding uh, COVID-19 deaths and was very honest with the country and said, look, we're probably going to hit 
half a million people who are going to die of COVID-19 uh, before the vaccinations start really moving at the pace that, that they want them to. So again, it is due primarily to a lack of planning that happened during the, the Trump years. Had, had Donald Trump really sat down and created a real plan, and by the way, a big discovery <laughs> very recently is that there was no plan. Donald Trump never created a plan to tackle COVID-19. So uh, Joe Biden is saying, no, now that there is a plan, we're going to tackle it and we're going to tackle it aggressively because if we can't get a hold of this pandemic, we cannot get our economy back on track. And that means that our belief that we were going to experience a... Uh, a reset and go back to the way what normal was uh, is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, and some of us don't believe that it's going to happen until late summer, late summer, or maybe even early fall. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we're hoping early fall, definitely, but uh, it will be something uh, important to see. Okay, coming across uh, the coast-to-coast uh, -coast Latino uh, news ticker tape, we've got dozens of dozens of uh, headline news that I think are important for you to, uh, to know what's going on. Uh, Republican, Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman has stated that he will not be seeking re-election uh, come 2022 citing that the partisan gridlock has been so bad he's not interested in in uh, working uh, with uh, with uh, the current uh, group of Republicans so he's had enough he has told uh, President Joe Biden that he's willing to work with him as much as he can over the next uh, two years uh, here's another one you know how they were alleging that uh, Dominion voting machines were rigged and that they were set up to create voter fraud, etc.? Well, guess what? Dominion voting machine is now suing Rudy Giuliani for $1.3 billion over him lying that, uh, that there was election fraud and there was especially election fraud involved with Dominion uh, voting machines. That should be an interesting uh, thing, especially those of you that are st studying law. You might want to follow this one. Uh, it's going to be, I think, very critical. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in the state of California is expected to cancel coronavirus stay-at-home stay orders. This is the statewide uh, coronavirus stay-at-home orders that he issued about two months ago. He's been heavily criticized for reissuing it without real evidence that either it improves or makes things worse. And so several restaurants have filed lawsuits. In addition to that, there is a movement to recall the governor, and currently they have 1.2 million signatures 
to do this recall. They have until mid-March to be able to submit a minimum of 1.5 million signatures. And uh, with essentially two months to go, uh, most of us believe they could really achieve that 1.5 million without uh, too much of a problem. So uh, Newsom is, is facing a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, backlash with his stay-at-home orders. So now he's gonna pull back on those, hoping that it can also slow down the uh, recall movement. Now, uh, what's interesting is that uh, the Supreme Court has ended Trump's uh, emolument lawsuits. And for those of you who don't know what an emolument is, it is where you receive gifts from different countries. And Trump was saying that he could do it uh, he could receive those uh, without any uh, without any threat, etc. But in actuality, he has to report all of, all of those, and uh, the Supreme Court uh, has pretty much agreed that uh, he was in the wrong on that. Uh, and Moderna, we're talking about vaccines. Moderna's working to bo uh, on the booster shot to increase the protection against the South African COVID-19 variant. Okay, as COVID-19 hangs around longer, it's, uh, it's, it's changing. It's changing into a different disease altogether. And so Moderna is working on tackling it um, before it gets really, really bad. And uh, uh, those are pretty much the, the, the biggest headlines. At least uh, when it comes to non-Latino uh, news, headlines on the uh, Latino news, uh, NBC Bay Area uh, has an article uh, regarding uh, the undocumented migrants receiving uh, the vaccine. And it says that although many of them have in fact received the vaccine, and it's important, they, by the way, it's important that they get the the vaccine because these are frontline workers okay uh they are essential workers and they also have the 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 fastest uh rate of getting covid-19 because of their proximity their work environment their lack of ppp or excuse me ppe uh uh uh, uh protective gear etc so you know uh, farm workers are getting their their uh, their flu shots uh, there are approximately, however, 11 million people here in the U.S. that are illegally in the U.S. without documents. And uh, what it's saying, what this article is saying, is that some of the immigrants are not coming forward. And the reason they're not coming forward is because they fear that the information that is being taken down during the vaccination may be used uh, by authorities to deport them, to find them and deport them. As a result, they're not getting vaccines. So the pressure is on for the federal government, especially to turn around and start addressing this issue. Uh, uh, California's Riverside County, for example, is home to a $1.3 billion ag industry. So ag is huge in California. 
and uh, uh, and it's become especially critical for organizations to reach out to the undocumented uh, through Spanish language radio. Uh, uh, and their job, in fact, is to assure them that that information is not going to be used against them to deport them. And in several newspapers across the U.S., they all talked about how Biden's inauguration pretty much set the tone for his willingness to work with the Latino community. Uh, he had, of course, uh, uh, performer, singer, writer, uh, Grammy Award winner Jennifer Lopez sing. And in, in the middle of her song, she uh, said in Spanish, she cried out in Spanish, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's had a very powerful tone uh, for, for many Latinos across the nation. Uh, and then the first thing Joe Biden does the next day is sign a slew of uh, executive orders. Uh, the first one halting the construction of the border wall with Mexico, which, of course, Donald Trump established through executive order. And he even redirected military money to go towards the building of the uh, border wall. And he says that he built all this border wall. In actuality, he built approximately 17 miles worth of new border wall. All the rest of the work was uh, was uh, 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 reinforcing what was already there. Uh, and uh, Biden also said he intended to stop the arrival of undocumented migrants, most of them that were coming out of Latin America, uh, at least until he's able to set up a system for them to be reviewed as to whether or not they should get some kind of uh, court review prior to deciding whether or not uh, they're kept or allowed to stay here or, or be deported. Uh, some of the other executive orders that, uh, that uh, Biden uh, is looking at and uh, putting together is, of course, uh, dealing with the DACA kids from, uh, from across the U.S. He says he wants to set up a system where they would have a path to citizenship. And uh, he would open it up, believe it or not, to all 11 million undocumented people who currently live in the uh, U.S. Here's another thing that, I, that many of us found very interesting is uh, he has redesigned his office, the Oval Office, and right behind his desk on his credenza is a bust of Cesar Chavez. That could not be unnoticed, let me tell you. It could not go unnoticed. Uh, it was headline news in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, the LA Times, uh, a lot of newspapers picked up on it, and they had the picture of the bust of Cesar Chavez uh, sitting on his credenza. And, uh, you know, there are some other changes, especially the website. I don't know how many of you were aware of this, but the White House website was in English only. Uh, back during uh, Barack Obama's uh, term, 
and uh, George W. Bush's term as well. Uh, they created a Spanish uh, website, and so Joe Biden is doing that again. He's going to have it in English and in Spanish, and uh, finally reaching the millions and millions of Latinos who currently live in the U.S. Uh, and to us, you know, to many of us, it is in fact a significant show of interest. In addition to the appointments that he has made to his cabinet, uh, which includes Julie Chavez Rodriguez, uh, the granddaughter of Cesar Chavez, and uh, Julie is now working with the White House team. And of course, he's added uh, numerous other Latinos, including Javier Becerra, uh, to uh, to his staff. So it's it's going to be a, a very exciting time for Latinos, I believe. Uh, the bigger question is, can we hold those Latinos that are in there, can we hold them accountable for things to happen positively to the Latino community? And we're not just talking about uh, making sure that uh, Google and other companies are unionized, but more importantly, what are Latinos actually gaining from all of these appointments? Uh, can we ensure that uh, that uh, entrepreneurs, Latino entrepreneurs, can receive the the right uh, amount of funding? Uh, can we ensure that existing businesses can can get the 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 funding essential to keep uh, their doors open, etc. So there's there's a lot of work ahead of us, and it, and when it comes to education, even though we do have uh, Education Secretary Cardona uh, now in office, his job is to make sure that the huge number and growing number of Latino kids in public schools across the U.S are able to obtain a high-level, high-quality uh, uh, type of education to ensure their progressive growth in the fabric of America today. And speaking about Latinos in, in politics, here's, here's something that I think is very, very interesting. There's an article in the New York Post that talks about the growing at this, the growing number of Latinos who are conservative. Well, first of all, many Latinos are in fact conservative. Uh, we were raised Catholic. We were raised with strong family values and uh, entrepreneurial skills, business skills that pushed us towards a more conservative perspective than the liber liberal perspective that the Democrats have. Now, the, uh, the Democrats lately have been pushing an agenda that is reminiscent of the socialist agendas that many Latino immigrants ran away from. And so somewhere along the line, the Democrats are going to have to wake up and realize that not all Latinos are born Democrat. Latinos, especially immigrants, are feeling very uncomfortable supporting uh, a party that reminds them of the country that they left and they left that country because it became a socialist country okay 
Now, Barack Obama, uh, back in uh, 2012, Barack Obama won 71% of the Latino vote, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, but here's the, the fact that uh, this particular article points out. 32 million Hispanics living in the U.S. come from a variety of countries, experiences, and cultures. Factors like faith, income, and country of origin frame their disparate views, and increasingly more of them are voting conservative, which is the reason why Joe Biden only won 66% of the Hispanic vote, while Donald Trump won 32% of the Hispanic vote, an overall increase of 4%. And in 2022, there are three states uh, that have huge Latino populations, Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, where the Senate races will be significant in creating the balance of power on the U.S. Senate. And if Latinos vote and they vote conservative in those states, what is going to happen is we're probably going to see uh, those those seats become Republican seats. Uh, and yes, Latinos are going to determine that. So for the Democrats not to wake up and not to see this potential uh, is is naive on their part, you know. Latinos are not monolithic, and we've always said that. We're not monolithic. We have a variety of views based on our upbringing, based on the reasons why we live in the United States, and also culture, main culture, and subculture reasons. You know, for example, has anybody asked lowriders how they feel about the Democrats? Or have the Democrats reached out to lowriders to talk to them? How about conservatives? Have you reached out to lowriders to talk to them? See, lowriders, many of them, have strong family values, have strong religious values, believe in work ethic, and don't share a social agenda the way the Democrats, some uh, leading Democrats, currently uh, view how politics should be in the U.S. When uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez went to Texas, South Texas, to try to recruit more Latinos to be to register for Democrat and vote for Joe Biden, a lot of them told her to get out because they view her as a socialist. They don't view her as anything else but and the reason being is that South Texas is is an immigrant pretty much an immigrant uh, magnet and it pulls a lot of a lot of uh, immigrants from uh, Mexico Central America South America there first and their views and the reason why those immigrants are there again is because their country became a socialist country and they didn't want to live through that again. They, they, they're not interested in being there. As a result, uh, Cortez's efforts, Ocasio-Cortez's efforts failed miserably.
and they pretty much threw her out. So here's the other thing. Uh, the religious component of it includes uh, uh, the pro-life movement. And, and that particular part, you can see in Latino families. One of the reasons why Latino families are so large is because they are against abortion. They are very much pro-life. And uh, uh, for the Democrats to come in and say, you know, uh, Roe v. Wade is essential, it doesn't resonate with these Latinos. And it is something that, again, the Democratic Party needs to reassess because if they want to stay in power, if they want to keep the Senate, they're going to have to reassess how they reach out to the Latino community. In an article by uh, Ed Morales of CNN, he writes that Latinos want to hear the things that Latinos want to hear from Biden. And it's a, it's a pretty in-depth uh, article. It, it covers uh, quite a bit of uh, the many things that Joe Biden has done so far that really improve things for Latinos. And it includes policies and, and, uh, and executive orders right now that uh, are of benefit to the entire country, which includes Latinos. But uh, there are certain things that, that, uh, that I think some of us Latinos want to hear, for example, is, uh, is he interested, is Joe Biden interested in helping out Puerto Rico? Okay, Puerto Rico, many of you remember, was devastated by Hurricane Maria, was devastated by an earthquake, and the Trump administration made little of Puerto Rico. In fact, at one point, they were thinking that maybe they could sell the island to somebody else. Puerto Rico right now has a $70 billion debt. And both uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren keep saying that we need to take actions to either reduce or eliminate that debt and that that would push the Democratic Party a lot further with the Latino voters, especially in Florida. Others are saying that the uh, Trump administration's punitive actions against Cuba need to be rescinded in order to gain more support from, from uh, Florida uh, Cubanos. Uh, but there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. Uh, the, perhaps the, the, the two biggest things that, that are still fresh in many people's minds is the huge number of people that Barack Obama and Joe Biden deported during their administration. Three million, three million people were deported. So what will appease the Latino community? In other words, what does the Latino community want to hear? Well, believe it or not, immigration is not on top of the list. If you look at the list, the list, the, the immigration falls towards the second half of the top 10 biggest issues that 
Latinos have. Right now, the biggest thing that they're looking at is the wealth and employment gaps that exist, which are huge. The uh, over-representation of Latinos in the prison systems. Many of them are young people who got caught in a trap somehow or another. And then, of course, there has to be some form of, of uh, helping these incarcerated young men get back into society. So we need programs, we need ideas, we need something fresh that will help. Uh, and then, of course, there's the lack of parity in education. And I mentioned that before. When you look at the number of kids in the public schools and the fact that many of them are failing, are not achieving, and are not getting college degrees, that has to be a priority. And then the uh, home ownership issues. We as Latinos, as, as young adults, we are taught that in order to gain strong wealth, you need to be a property owner. And the goal of many Latinos is in fact to purchase property. So they make every effort to get themselves in a position where they can purchase property. And it, it just seems to always collapse at the last minute. We need solutions. We need a, a better understanding of how to purchase property. And, uh, and here's one of, the, uh, one of the key things that I think, and, and I agree with Mr. Morales on his uh, CNN article, is that advocating history of disproportionately low levels of Latinos, especially in government employment, is critical. How can you serve a community that you don't represent? How can you serve a community and provide services to a community that you don't understand because you don't look like them. You don't understand the culture. You don't understand the language. Many years ago, one of our one of my biggest uh, tasks was to diversify the California Highway Patrol, and we had lengthy discussions during our management meetings, where I shared with them how important it was for the Highway Patrol to reflect the community that it serviced. At that time, Latinos were approximately 16% uh, of the population and growing. And I said, and we need to, to really improve those relations between the CHP and the Latino communities. The CHP adopted many of those policies because they understood that with the growing change, growing demographic in the, the people that were living in the state, they needed to be serviced and they needed to be serviced properly. Many companies are taking that same approach, except for uh, many of the tech companies. They still don't get it, but they're learning and they're learning fast. But bigger corporations are realizing that if you're able to reflect 
the community that you service, you can service them better. And the rewards are positive. They make, those companies make more money because Latinos are more willing to spend money when they are often approached and, and, uh, and sold in the language that they speak. Government is no different. Government can really reap the rewards of communities provided that they reflect those communities and they don't. So whether it's school, whether it's uh, uh, local government, state government, or federal government, they should be able to reflect the communities that they service. In the US, Latinos make up 19% of the population. That means that nearly one in five American citizens or people living in the US are Latino. Federal government should reflect that. One out of every five federal employees ought to be Latino. In uh, California, where the population is 40% Latino, California's government should reflect that. Instead, uh, California's uh, Latino employment population is in the neighborhood of about 23%, half of where it should actually be at. So, very good uh, article on CNN. Uh, kudos to Mr. Morales. I think uh, it's important. Those things are critical that they be brought out, especially while the Biden administration is young and is fresh. Now, who can carry those messages over there? Our legislators can carry that message over there. In California, Alex Padilla, the former Secretary uh, of State, was appointed to replace Kamala Harris. Uh, he is now the representative for the state of California. He knows he's Latino and he's interested in helping Latinos. We need to bring this to uh, Alex Padilla's office so they can present it to the president so the president can be more encouraging to federal agencies to tell them to hire more Latinos. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining us on this uh, Monday edition of Coast to Coast Latino. My name is Adrian Perez. We're brought to you by the Vida de Oro Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the arts and enhancing the community. We're also brought to you by U-Haul. For your moving and storage needs, contact U-Haul. And we're brought to you by OIC Tax Services. OIC, they are experts in dealing with the IRS. Contact OIC at OIC.com. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can even follow us on Podomatic.com. Pretty much anywhere today because we are in all these different formats across the uh, internet world. We uh, appreciate you joining us. We will be back on Wednesday with a whole new edition of Coast to Coast Latino. In the meantime, you can keep up with the latest news regarding Latinos across the U.S. on our Facebook at Coast to Coast Latino Facebook. 
You can also find us on our website at coasttocoastlatino.com. Again, my name is Adrian Perez. I appreciate you taking time joining us. Until Wednesday, stay safe.